If you would please uh, take your scripture and uh, turn with me to Job chapter one. I thought we'd do it. I thought we'd do it again. No, no. Okay, no. I, I've already put Matthew one in the bulletin, so we'll stick with uh, we'll stick with that plan. Matthew chapter one, uh, if you would, will be our uh, scripture reading tonight. We're going to be reading verses one uh, through seventeen. And uh, we trust that the Lord will bless us in that. So let's pray together as we begin the New Testament. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we can sing together of Holy Spirit, of Messiah, the Christ, and that we can come to you now uh, as we read the scripture, as the word is preached, Lord, appealing to your Holy Spirit to help us, to lead us to help us, Lord, to hear these words that you have for us, to understand them. And then again, by your Spirit, that you would take these words and all that they're meant to convey of your truth and apply them to our hearts and minds, that as we go out this week, uh, we would know again that we have met uh, with the living God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew uh, chapter 1, you remember that as we come to the Uh, beginning of the New Testament that uh, the book of Malachi ends uh, with this uh, great looking forward to the day when Elijah the prophet uh, will, will come. And after Malachi, there are hundreds of years uh, without, uh, without prophecy, without, uh, without a word uh, from God. And so we come then to the New Testament. This is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, 
and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised that all scripture is God-breathed and useful and profitable for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make this word profitable for us uh, even this night. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have uh, have you ever thought it might be a a fun idea uh, to take a DNA test uh, to learn about your uh, ancestors? Uh, I did a little search on Amazon and found out that there are uh, many different tests available. You can do ancestry DNA, you can do family tree DNA, or tell me gen advanced DNA. That sounds like a pretty uh, high tech one. Or uh, 23andMe DNA and go for it. Uh, but before you do, uh, you may want to heed the counsel of Professor Hank uh, Greeley, who manages Stanford University Center for Law and Biosciences. He says that there's a potential problem with the DNA testing craze, and that is when your DNA testing delivers a surprise. And this is what he says. Before sending your spit off or buying a kit for a friend or relative, you should give some thought to the fact that maybe you'll learn things that you really didn't want to know, he warned, like sensitive health information or a particularly uh, unsavory ancestor or relative you didn't know you had. Apparently, the office of the Secretary of Defense a couple years ago put out a memo advising military personnel to avoid commercial genetic testing services, contending that genetic information can compromise force readiness. Dr. Amy McGuire, director of the Center for Medical Ethics and Health Policy at Baylor College of Medicine, says the genealogy company's massive databases could potentially identify just about anyone of European descent living in the United States through a third cousin. They can find you. Uh, That really, she says, creates a national security risk if you are in a particular job that requires undercover work. This is what she says. The nature of humans is to be curious about who we are and who we belong to. I don't see this going away. I see it expanding in the coming years. We want to know uh, our ancestors. So where do you... Uh, come from. Genealogies are a big deal. Uh, Connections and roots uh, and our heritage. Just remember that uh, TV series many years ago, right? I think it was on, I forget what it was, but it was called Roots, right? About the slavery in America and so forth. Went back several generations to Africa. Had a huge viewing uh, audience. But what is your lineage, ancestors? Who really is is back of you? Uh, Do you have royalty back of you? Are there perhaps knights in shining armor, Uh, maybe princesses, Uh, maybe bankers? Um, I found on my dad's side, uh, Molkers lived in the province of Zeeland in the Netherlands, at least back uh, into the 17th century. Uh, A lot of them apparently were just fishermen. That's all it says, fishermen. So the name changed a little bit along the way. I like the early one from the 17th century. Instead of Molker, it was something like uh, Mui Liker, something like that. Anyway for those who are interested. 
But what about you? Any, any rogues, perhaps? I mean, no one likes to find prostitution, adultery, and murder in their family tree. I mean, what a shameful heritage that would be. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Remember that story? And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, what is the book of Matthew all about? We're going to be looking at uh, Matthew for the next uh, little while. Well, that whole first verse uh, tells the story. It's going to be the record of the Genesis, the beginnings, the origins of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And specifically, that's, of course, talking about these first uh, 17 uh, verses. Everyone's favorite passages of the Bible, of course, genealogies and lists of names, names full of history, full of meaning, full of life, full of time, of course. Uh, But the whole book of Matthew, of course, is going to be focused on the person and and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So two things tonight. First of all, the New Testament and its first book begins uh, by looking back at the history of Jesus. Why? Well, because the whole of Matthew and the whole of the New Testament is going to be about him. And so right at the beginning of the New Testament, we're given the history of Jesus uh, so that we understand that everything beforehand uh, was coming to this point, reaches a climax in the coming of the Christ. Everything else was leading to it. As Paul wrote in Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim. J.C. Ryle, uh, who we're going to hear from along the way as we go through this gospel, said this, The New Testament begins with the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. No part of the Bible is so important as this, and no part is so full and complete. Four distinct gospels tell us the story of Christ doing and dying. Four times over, we read the precious account of his works and words. And of course, this is typical Ryle. How thankful, says Ryle, how thankful we ought to be for this. To know Christ, he says, is life eternal. To believe in Christ is to have peace with God. To follow Christ is to be a true Christian. To be with Christ will be heaven itself. We can never hear, says Ryle, too much about Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. Often at the beginning of a collection of writings or works, for instance, or sermons that you might find in the library, um, you'll get a brief at the beginning of those works or writings or sermons or or whatever it is. You'll get a brief uh, biography of the life of the author. (laughs) But what you won't find in a typical collection of works or sermons today is four biographies uh, in a row (laughs) describing the life of the author. Uh, But this indeed is what we find uh, in the New Testament. So here we have 17 verses tracing the history of Jesus from Abraham to David, from David to the exile to Babylon, from Babylon down uh, to the family in which Jesus was born in the home of Joseph. Uh, Now, if you compare this genealogy with the genealogy over in Luke, 
uh, chapter 3, I think it is, you'll find some differences. That's because this genealogy uh, traces the line of Jesus back through Joseph. And in the book of Luke, you'll find uh, Jesus' genealogy traced back into the Old Testament through the line of his mother, Mary. Here in Matthew, you will not find, as someone has said, every link in the chain of ancestry. Uh, but Matthew does trace, uh, does trace the lineage. Sometimes he'll give a, a grandfather uh, who uh, begat or was the father of someone listed here in this, in, this, uh, in this list. But he traces the lineage, but not every single person is listed if you go back to the Old Testament. We also find out that the last third of these names, really from verses 12 through verse 16, some of those names just say, I've never really heard of those names before. But that makes sense because uh, that last third uh, list of names we don't know about because those were the folks that lived mainly during the time between the Testaments, uh, between, uh, between the ending of the Old uh, Testament and the beginning of the New, of which we do not have inspired Scripture from God. Now, here's the thing. Does such a beginning surprise you? Does such a beginning to the New Testament surprise you? I mean, yes, some people love history and some people love genealogies. In fact, you might remember Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 that some folks love them too much and that's all they talk about and that's all they discuss and that's all they argue about. Endless genealogies. So yeah, there's some folks uh, like that. But genealogy and history and beginnings and origins are important uh, in the Bible. In fact, this language with which the New Testament begins uh, may have reminded you of something back in the book of Genesis. So back in Genesis 5.1, it goes like this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. And then you get a whole list there. might remind you of other places in Genesis, like... Uh, Genesis 10, verse 1, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem and Ham and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Or chapter 11, verse 27, now these are the generations of, of Terah. And Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. You think about the book of Joshua and you think about how the Bible uh, is so specific about the different uh, lands and the... Um, uh, and the borders of the land for all the different clans. And people needed to be able to trace uh, their family line and their connections. That hel helped you trace your inheritance, where you should live, where you should be. And, of course, history is important uh, for the promises of God that are, again and again, we're told, made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And this comes into the New Testament, of course, because we find out that Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, Anna, the prophetess Anna, was of the tribe of Asher, we're told. And Zechariah was of the line of Abijah. And uh, his wife was of Aaron's house. And so this, this continues into the New Testament. It's important. But the point here at the outset is this. This history, this genealogy, of course, has a focus point, has a focal point, and it is in the fulfillment of, of God's promises that he is going to send one who would be, in fact, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So no, first of all, says Matthew, Jesus Christ is the son of David and the son of Abraham. No, that is that God has fulfilled all his promises. So we think of 
son of Abraham. Well, what do we learn about the son of Abraham? Well, way back in Genesis chapter 12, this is what God had promised. Now, Lord, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Oh boy, that's a big promise. All the families of the earth blessed somehow in you, Abraham. Son of Abraham means blessing to the nations, you see. That's Jesus. Matthew, for sure, he begins here with a Jewish genealogy. Uh, but note two things. First of all, within this genealogy of Jesus, we hear of Gentiles, like in verse 5, Rahab of Jericho. We read of Ruth, the Moabites, in verse 5. We read of Tamar in verse 3, the Canaanite. And so even within the ancestry of Jesus, there's, there's Gentiles. But notice also that Matthew, uh, when he comes to end his gospel, uh, will end it this way in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew does not say at the end of this gospel, go and make disciples of Israel, but all nations. Why? Because Jesus is the son of Abraham who will bring blessing to all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth. He's the one through whom all nations, in fact, will be blessed. There is blessing for all. Jesus fulfills that promise to Abraham. He is the son of Abraham. And uh, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to find that Matthew, of all the Gospels, is the one who is constantly referring back to the Old Testament. And then he believe he's writing, of course, first to Jews in this, in this letter. He will speak much of the kingdom. He'll speak much of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and uh, he will quote from the Old Testament at least 40 times more than the other Gospels. And you'll find this phrase 16 times here in the Gospel of Matthew, this phrase. All this was done to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. Some kind, of, some, kind of, some kind of phrasing like that. Everything you're witnessing here in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus, says Matthew, all of this comes, you see, as fulfillment of what God has promised of old. He's the son of Abraham. God fulfills his promises. He's also the son of David. He fulfills his promises back in uh, 2 Samuel Chapter 7, you might remember uh, these words, 2 Samuel 12, 13, speaking to David. When your days, David, are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, you know Solomon, of course. Solomon had a kingdom. He had a great kingdom, very blessed. And, and the queen of, uh, you know, Sheba came up and said, There's, I've seen nothing like this. But that kingdom ended, and then it was torn apart. 
And there was Rehoboam, and there was Jeroboam, and, and, uh, and, there, was, and there was a great mess. And the throne of Solomon did not last forever. But God promises to David that there would be one to come whose throne would be established, uh, a throne of his kingdom forever, a son of David. This is Jesus, says Matthew, son of David, son of Abraham. You remember Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And, uh, and Jesus said, you have said so. You've said so. Jesus is the king, and Matthew shows us here in this first chapter, Jesus' legal right to be the king because he has descended from David. Paul reminds us of this in uh, the uh, opening chapter of the book of Romans when uh, Paul begins that letter to the church at Rome. Remember how he introduces himself and Jesus? He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. He just, that's important, you see. He descended from David. He has the legal right to the kingship. And he has come, not only as the blessing to the nations, but he has come as the king of the nations. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, you will find Jesus saying, well... Uh, he was uh, accused by others of, um, you know, casting out demons by, the, by Satan himself, by the spirit of Beelzebul. And Jesus said, well, if I cast out uh, uh, demons by the, by, the, uh, by, the, by the spirit of God, then you can know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was casting out demons by the spirit of God. And so he announces that his kingdom has come because he is... In fact, the king. And it's in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, that Jesus will teach his disciples. You need to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, this, friends, is all in Jesus. Kingdom come and kingdom coming. Blessing to the nations and the king has come. So all of Old Testament history, all Old Testament genealogy, climaxes, says Matthew, now. Now, he has come, the Christ. So two things from that. When you read the Old Testament, remember always that every part of the Old Testament you read, including all of the genealogies and all of the history, all of it is, is meant to point you to the, to the building up point of this chapter in the Scripture, where the Christ, in fact, comes, son of David, Son of Abraham, Luke will tell us, son of Adam. And secondly, the New Testament begins, this gospel begins, friends, by proclaiming loud and clear that God keeps his promises. Yes, many years have passed, Matthew says, 14 generations here, 14 generations there, 14 generations there, but he comes. A long time, long time of waiting and anticipating, but he comes and God's word is certain. And here you have him. He's the son of David 
and he's the son of Abraham. And that's important for us, of course, because God has said other things in the Bible. And you and I need to know that as we read the Gospel of Matthew, we need to be certain that God keeps his word and that God keeps his promises. And that's what Matthew wants us to know first of all, you see. Like Paul knew when he was talking to the folks at Athens and on Mars Hill and said, you know, the Lord God has a appointed a day when he is going to judge the world by the man uh, who was raised from the dead. And that, that time of judgment is coming where he's called all men everywhere to repent. But that day of judgment is coming. And the Apostle Paul could say that, and he could say that with conviction. And you and I believe that, and we live out of that, and, and teach out of that, and serve out of that, and love out of that great truth, because we know the Lord's returning, and everything we do in life, and think in life, and, uh, and, and whatever we cherish in life is all done in light of that, that promise that God has made, because we know He keeps His promises. Generations can pass, but the Lord is faithful. So that's the first thing Matthew tells us, just two things tonight. The second thing we learn is this, that this history of Jesus is filled with significance for understanding the glory and the wonder of who Jesus is. Now I wonder, what do you notice about this list of folks here in Matthew chapter 1? What do they all share in in common. Well, there are men, uh, there are women. There are patriarchs in that first third. There are kings in the second third. And, and there's a lot of common folk kind of mixed in. Some live longer than others. That's true. But one thing they share, which is, is really quite striking, shocking, and strange to find in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And that is that this is really a long line of sinners. This is a this is a long line of sinners. Beginning with Abraham and Isaac. Remember, both pretending that their wife was their sister so they wouldn't get into trouble. Jacob well, his name says it all. It means usurper, <laughs> supplanter. Judah, who took up a prostitute that he saw along the side of the road, who was unknowingly his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And she's here too. David, the king, who had a son, we're told, in this genealogy by the wife of Uriah, you remember the man David had murdered by putting him in the front line of the battle and instructing the rest of the troops to withdraw. And there's many other folks here. There's Rehoboam who said, My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. He was a good guy. Abijah, three years the Bible says he reigned. He walked in all the sins of his Fathers, Joram, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done. Uzziah, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. He went into the temple of Jehovah to burn incense. Ahaz, we're told, in the time of his distress, he, this same king Ahaz, transgressed yet more grievously against Jehovah. Manasseh, the Bible says, and the Lord said, because Manasseh has committed these abominations, 
I'm bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such evil that both ears of those who hear it will tingle. I mean, this guy was so bad that the judgment of God was coming that would make the ears of people who heard it tingle. Manasseh. Jeconiah, the Bible says he did what was evil in the sight of Jehovah, and the king of Babylon took him and carried him away to Babylon. Well, these are messed up sinners. Yes, there are those who walked with the Lord too, and David, of course, himself. And Boaz is mentioned here, Josiah is mentioned here, and kings, a few who the Bible says walked with the Lord. Um, but you have to admit there's a fair bit of rogues gallery here, all leading down to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, which means Messiah in Hebrew, the anointed one. And you remember uh, in the Bible, who's anointed? Prophets, priests, and king. So here's the thing. Be amazed, first of all, that God fulfills his promise in the sending of Jesus through a long line of sinners. Now think about that. Growing up in Nazareth with Joseph as his dad, um, you know, this was the heritage of Jesus. This was his cultural inheritance. So when he was attending school at synagogue and uh, synagogue ruler said, uh, okay, class, it's time to uh, drop your family tree. Um, you know, this is the family tree that Jesus would have put down, you know, wife of Uriah and Tamar. And, and we say, why? Why this way? Why like this? Why would the spotless Lamb of God, the second person of the Trinity, come and be incarnate and adopt such a heritage. Well, first of all, notice this, that as, uh, uh, as this line is being listed, you'll notice in verses 14 and following, all through, of course, you'll hear this common refrain, for instance, and Azor, the father of Zadok, uh, Zadok, the father of Akim, verse 14, Akim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. What don't you have there? Well, what you don't have there is, and, uh, and Joseph, the father of Jesus. It's also translated begat. Uh, and so and so begat and begat and begat and begat and begat. But no begatting from Joseph. He was the husband of Mary to whom Jesus was born. Jesus uh, would not be begotten of Joseph, as we saw earlier today. He would be conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would be the only begotten of the Father. So that's something to notice. But notice also, why would Jesus adopt such a heritage? Well, it's all in his name. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called Christ. Why Jesus? Verse 21 she will bear a son, the angel tells Joseph later. She'll bear a son, Mary. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The very name of Jesus means the Lord saves, Yeshua, 
It means the Lord saves. And in fact, Paul will tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 that this is a trustworthy saying, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He came for sinners. And so when Jesus came upon the scene, of course, as we will find out in Matthew, you would think that would be, that would be good news. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn, Pharisees, what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's why he came, you see. Um, this morning, Brother Derek uh, stole my illustration. Um, because when I was preparing the sermon and I was thinking here about this, this whole point, right? Jesus came for sinners. I was reminded of Rosaria Butterfield's story. And uh, how, uh, you know, you talked about her writing that letter. She puts a letter in the, in the local paper writing about how, um, how professing Christians can be so, so mean and use uh, such hurtful words and can often be hypocrites. That was the letter she wrote. And so Pastor Ken Smith of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church wrote her letter. And as Derek mentioned this morning, you know, she'd get letters that were really angry at her, uh, letters that were really in support of her. And then she had this letter by Pastor Smith and she couldn't throw it away. And so she eventually contacted him. But here's the thing. He, after she contacted him, invited her to his home for dinner with his wife. And finally she came, and that was the first of many meetings. And there was no church program uh, in the conversion story or discipleship of Rosaria Butterfield, who was a lesbian, taught uh, women's studies there at Syracuse University and was involved in that, in that lifestyle, known in that, in that community. But it wasn't a program of the church, but simply a starting with a, a compassionate and loving pastor and his wife, along with when she finally, uh, you know, she tells the story of sometimes she, she thought, maybe I should try this church. And so she'd, she'd go and park in the parking lot on a Sunday morning and just watch them go in. But she wouldn't go in at first. How is she going to be treated? You know? And so eventually she, eventually she goes in, and lo and behold, as she comes in, she is, she's welcomed by the people. She's embraced by the people. They didn't tell her she didn't belong. They didn't ignore her. They didn't uh, think they were too good to associate with her. They knew God had them there for that very purpose, that they might uh, win the lost. They were there for sinners. And so uh, OPC pastor Carl Truman wrote this about her book, The Secrets of an Unlikely, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. The book said Truman brings out beautifully how the gentle vulnerability of a humble RPCNA pastor and his wife over many months were used by God to bring her into the kingdom 
As others either scream and shout from the barricades and the trenches of the culture war, or else so water down their Christian testimony as to remove all offense from it, a quiet RPCNA pastor did neither, but rather took the very citadel of the enemy by storm through nothing more than opening his house to a radical feminist, lesbian, English professor. Just opening your house, a friend of sinners. This is who Jesus is. It is why he came. You know, the slur against Jesus was, he's a friend of sinners. I remember hearing this at a a mission conference many, many years ago. The pastor was preaching about that uh, about that reference to Jesus and and him being accused of being a friend of sinners. And he simply said to us, he said, "Uh, would you ever be accused of being a friend of sinners? (laughs) Jesus was. Of course, to be accused of being a friend of sinners, you, you actually have to have some time with sinners. So we can ask ourselves, do we have any friends who are sinners that is known to be Sinners, ever eat in an unbeliever's home? Ever had an unbeliever in your home? Or we'd ask this, how would you treat, how would I treat a well-known sinner in our culture today? Let's say someone visits Sovereign Grace and, um, and they're struggling with homosexual desires. Or maybe someone in our day too who's confused about being a man or a woman. Maybe someone will come in and visit us one one Lord's Day, and they'll and they'll um, and they'll they'll look like a woman, and you'll ask them for their name, and, and they'll say, "Hi, I'm 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 George." And and what happens? It happens in churches today where people who, you know, who are confused about who they are, they come to a place of worship, and how do we how do you respond to a sinner? These uh, verses here in Matthew remind us of the love and humility of Christ. These were his ancestors, sinners all. And this is what the book of Philippians says, Philippians 2, 6, who Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Matthew 1 tells us, friends, Jesus did not arrive on earth on a pristine interplanetary spaceship with a 20-gun salute, surrounded by a host of bodyguards to protect him from the rabble. Hand sanitizer ready to go whenever he touched somebody. He came, the Bible says, from a long line of sinners that he might save his people from their sin. J.C. Ryle said this, we should always read this catalog with thankful feelings. We see here that no one who partakes of human nature can be beyond the reach of Christ's sympathy and compassion. Our sins may have been as black and great as those of any whom St. Matthew names, like David, but they cannot shut us out of heaven 
if we repent and believe the gospel. Here's the thing. If Jesus was not ashamed to be born of a woman whose pedigree contains such names as those we've read today, said Ryle, we need not think that he will be ashamed to call us brethren and to give us eternal life. You see, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim, son of David, son of Abraham, Savior and King, descended from a long line of sinners, that he might save those sinners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we can begin this gospel together. We know, Lord, that this gospel is all about Jesus. As the Apostle Paul said, him we proclaim. Help us, Lord, to see today he is the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. He's the one who comes and fulfillment of all your promises over all those generations to all those sinful people that one day one would come through whom all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. One to come who would be the king whose throne would be established forever and of whose kingdom we would enter through faith in him and help us to see, oh dear Lord, that he did not shy away from having such ancestors in his family tree because he came for that very purpose, not to call the righteous, but sinners like us to repentance and life in him. May we be thankful for such a genealogy. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.